change is the only constant in every aspect of our lives, be it how we work, how we live, how we learn. It forces us to make the right decisions without the choice of looking back at history and conventions to know what's right. I am Vikram Baskaran, and this is Chargebee's Champions of Change podcast, where we talk to changemakers who've walked before us, built businesses on first principles, and unearth their tips and tricks to identify change and turn that into opportunity. Remember, you're just one decision away from being a change maker. Today we have with us Joyce McKenzie Liu, the founder of Pegafund that provides go-to-market strategy and financial planning services to early stage and high growth European B2B SaaS companies. Particularly, Joyce excels in the intersection of financial services and technology. She's worn many hats from being an advisor to being a board member of European and US B2B software companies. Before Pegafund, Joyce was a venture and early stage growth investor at Columbia Lake Partners, a Bessemer-backed European debt fund, and Dawn Capital, a London-based B2B software equity fund. And my favorite, she was recently a speaker at our Cornerstone event, Chargebee's Champions of Change Summit, and her insights have appeared in many spaces from SASTEC, TechEU, and Forbes. And it's great to catch up with you again, Joyce. We're excited to have you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me and super excited to be here as well and to speak with you again. So just to get us uh, started a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about Pega Fund and what made you start it? Yeah, absolutely. I would be happy to. So I started Pega Fund a little over a year ago uh, today, really to solve a recurring frustrating challenge that I was seeing happen time and again across the scale-up ecosystem with SaaS companies. And what it really boils down to is a few things. One, I think an underappreciation for finance and operations and the importance of scaling the people uh, within the business in a high growth environment. And two, I think it's also just in many cases, a lack of what I would consider fundamental financial expertise in really understanding what drives value for a company, what drives growth for a company, and how do you operationalize that with new hires that you bring on board. And so the experiences I had over the years in working with close to 20 B2B SaaS companies that were scaling from seed to Series C uh, across Europe and ultimately the US, what often happened is if for the companies that invested too late into finance and operations, you would very quickly see once they've achieved product market fit, when they go to go to market fit, all of a sudden things got way more complicated And oftentimes it would result in pretty high cash burn, which didn't necessarily produce the same results when it came to top line growth and therefore um, annual recurring revenue. And so Pegafund was really born with that, serving that pain point in mind, which is to provide uh, full stack modern CFO services to companies that are high growth in nature, B2B SaaS companies across Europe. And today we serve businesses that are anywhere from one to 10 million in annual recurring revenue. They tend to be growing more than 50% year on year. So they're either bootstrapped or venture backed. And they also have the money to pay for our services, which means that they have more than six months of cash runway. And so specifically at Pegafund, you focus on, of course, the, the high growth and B2B SaaS, I understand, but you particularly focus on European startups, right? Mm-hmm. 
And but you've 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 had extensive experience working in the U.S. SaaS landscape as well. So, in your opinion, what's the general difference you notice between European and U.S. Uh, uh, SaaS startups, and how does that change the the GTM perceptions or the finance and operations perceptions of uh, early stage founders in these markets? Uh, yeah, great question. I think um, I mean, first of all, one of the biggest difference is in terms of the history of buying outsourced software. There is just 20, 30 years longer history in the U.S. of buying out-of-the-box solutions. So a lot of the you know, VC-backed software companies were really born out of the 60s and 70s and 80s. I think in Europe, you see a lot more in-house built technology uh, solutions. And the outsource organizations were really born in the late 90s in the last tech boom. So th- that's a cultural kind of historical consideration. The other thing is when you speak to founders and you ask, well, what does go-to-market mean for you? Oftentimes, people will say, well, go-to-market is sales and marketing in Europe. Uh, If you talk to a founder CEO on the West Coast of the US, they'll say go-to-market is product marketing and sales. And it's our view that actually go-to-market is every single function within the business. So it also includes finance and operations, which enable and support scalability and and growth. And I would say the, the, the third element of, of difference is really just the overall buying cycle between uh, European customers versus U.S. customers, uh, which relate to the first point, which is, I think, in, in, in the U.S., you do see uh, a bigger pool of talent when it comes to SaaS sales. I think in Europe, you see a more limited pool, but you do definitely see you know, a lot of expertise around products and marketing as well as part of that. That's a very interesting um, differentiator. Now, another uh, optics that I'm sensing from your conversations around finance and you know the whole finance operations part of this game is from the time, you know, as you evolve from a startup to a scale up, there's this shift in uh, transition from, you know, making decisions based on gut to making decisions based on data and intelligence, which is kind of where in a lot of places the skill sets of a CFO particularly come in. But for most of these early stage uh, founders, it's not like they can they can afford a CFO just yet. What are the general pitfalls you've seen you know, startups make during this transition due to the lack of having a financial expertise? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the challenge and the beauty of the business that we're in, I think by extension, the business you're in is oftentimes finance and operations is an afterthought, which means that people and tooling is brought in when their problems are already starting happening inside the company, right? And as, as you know, the problems start happening um, much earlier than when you actually experience high cash burn uh, or failed fundraise or your investors putting a lot of pressure from a board perspective on understanding your unit economics and cash management. And these are, I would say, three of the common pain points that we see uh, businesses have when they invest too late into finance and operations. The other is having uh, unclarity around what are the different roles within the finance and operations department and how does that then map to uh, the types of people you bring on board, their title and their compensation. So still today, even you know, in, in our own industry, there's a lot of noise around what, what is the CFO or what is the modern CFO and expectations around that. When do you bring this person on board? Um, how do you compensate them? Right. So there's 
heads of finance or call it very qualified accountants that call themselves CFOs, as an example. And then, of course, along with it is the whole evolution and development of the role of revenue operations or business operations, which has been super critical in the world of SaaS. Because at the end of the day, what really drives growth is revenue visibility and predictability. And SaaS overall as a business model, as an industry, has become a lot more scientific and less based on call it art or gut instincts because of the fact that there's so many different tools out there today. The buyers and the users are much more sophisticated and they're spending more than two thirds of the time on the web, you know, doing digital referencing before they even engage in a discovery or or demo call. So what that means is you need to be very clear on how your strategy then impacts your growth planning, or in other words, your financial planning analysis, FP&A, and ultimately how that then bridges down to operations. And for most startups and scale-ups, the layer that's missing is the growth planning. It's just non-existent. There's strategy and there's operations. And this whole middle layer that integrates strategy and operations does not come about until much later than you should as a high growth business. That's, again, really interesting. I think amongst the various things that are evolving, there's the mindset evolution. And I want to kind of shift gears and focus on you know more, more of an inside out view of this, this whole mindset uh, change. Because... No, last, I, I, I think it's it's old news now. It's at least been a few decades since agile methodology has been the rage in, say, the software development process. It's ebbed into product management, even into marketing, where you know sometimes we talk about, all right, so let's let's do this in a sprint, etc. But I think for the first time ever, I came across this in a Forbes article that you'd authored some time back where you had spoken about financial sprints, which I found is a very unique terminology. So can you tell us a little bit more about what are these finance, financial sprints and how do you use them at Tiger Fund and what, is, what does it help? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to chat through it. Um, so financial sprints is really what it is, is it's, it's growth planning and it's to help a business prioritize and have deadlines around those business priorities and people assigned to the different projects and tasks associated with those priorities, and ultimately creating a very intricate headcount and budget. Uh, What does that tangibly mean? It means that we took the product design sprint concept, which was popularized by Google, and essentially repackaged it so that we can do a financial sprint in very similar kind of almost, you know, from a meta uh, or methodology perspective, very similar in that we have five days where we, you know, first day one, we look at growth accelerators and blockers. Day two, we look at potential ideas around solving those growth blockers and how can we further extend out growth accelerators in terms of more experimentation. Uh, Day three, we start creating a more tangible uh, solution set on a per department level around uh, experimental, predictable growth, as well as quick wins. Day four, we align all those uh, on a company level. So you bring the department level visibility back to the company level. And, um, and day five, you socialize, which then in turn creates a very uh, bottoms up and top down um, budget and headcount plan, including you know compensation, who, when, where. And we do all of that today remotely in Miro. And the benefit of doing that is you 
can have accountability across your different departments and to the leaders for those departments. You are essentially ingesting that uh, that layer that I previously mentioned is missing, the growth planning layer. So really mapping strategy, go to market, customers, people down to you know the the day to day operational tasks and projects that need to be done, and ultimately you are creating alignment also with your external stakeholders. So with your potential partners, also your investors and board members. And by going through that exercise, you know, once or twice a year as a management team, it really helps you make sure that you're moving forward in a way that is agile. Which kind of brings me to the next question of, you know, I'm sure, you know, most companies, you wouldn't say, especially the finance org is particularly agile or, and definitely the finance org is not the most agile uh, department in most organizations. What do you think are some things that a very early stage CFO can do to make a company agile from say day zero? I think there's a lot of things that you can do from uh, on day zero to make things much more agile. So I think the key thing that's changed if we, if we take a step back and look at how the role of the CFO has shifted over time is that in a high growth environment, especially when it's competitive, meaning there's a lot of different solutions that are competing for time, budgets, and yeah, other considerations of the customers that you're going after, it is really important to have revenue visibility and predictability. So the more that the finance and operations department can support that revenue visibility and predictability, the more you are viewed as a business partner as opposed to kind of the, you know, finance watchdog or police, as often other departments uh, like to think. And so, yeah, I, I think doing that is really important. That also, as a result, involves really making sure, and, and, and I talk about this with almost every single startup we work with on a weekly or monthly basis, really making sure that you're mapping out the processes between people and tools. Because you need to have, as you shift from being a startup to a scale-up and ultimately a growth company, you need to have a single source of truth across the business in terms of, you know, if someone's talking about this metric, are you actually talking about the same number? And the only way to do that is if you can capture all that data in your tools and all your tools are then well integrated to each other, both in terms of technical integration, but also in terms of people handoff and how people ingest data into those tooling. So that's super, super important. And, and historically, what's always been tricky from a finance and operations perspective is mapping the cash and cost side of the business and connecting that with the revenue side of the business. This is where a lot of the gaps exist. And I think that's also the benefit of having a solution like Chargebee, which can easily integrate into, let's say, a, a Zero or QuickBooks, is you want to have a single source of truth when it comes to your revenue. That's super, super important as a SaaS company. The reconciliation should not be done by people. It should be done in an automated fashion. And if you're doing that right, that means you're managing your cash right. It means you are also managing your, you know, your whole operational flow around invoicing, billing, and payments. And it also means that at some point you'll be able to very quickly figure out whether you've actually achieved go-to-market success or not based on having quick inputs into the unit economics of your business. Beautiful. And here, I, I particularly have been looking forward to this question for uh, most of our session today, because it's basically an opportunity to run a sales pitch. 
Why is it important rather for an organization to invest in finance and operations early in the journey? And what happens if 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 an organization underinvests, especially as it starts scaling up? What happens if an organization actually underinvests in its finance and operations? Yeah, so we're of the view before you raise the series A round that you should hire a head of finance and bring that accounting, cash and controls in-house. Um, along with that, that means you're starting to look at different tooling that scales with the company. Before a Series B round, you should have a VP of finance. Uh, it could be VP of finance and operations, or it could be VP of finance with a revenue operations uh, person supporting. And just kind of depends on, you know, the the talent you have on board and also the shape of your business and overall business model. Before a Series C round, you should have a, a CFO uh, in place and. What happens if you don't have these people in place is that you just don't have great control over your own company. And essentially, you are letting funding dictate how quickly you grow instead of your customers and your people telling you how quickly you're going to grow. That has a direct impact on valuation and funding rounds, which has a direct impact on company dilution and shareholder dilution. You shouldn't be you know, raising equity to plug a working capital problem. Uh, you should either raise debt financing or you should tighten your working capital management because you can, you know, it's just a much more cost effective way of doing that. Amazing. And so uh, that brings us to our final question of the session today. And this is, this is a question I've often actually wondered, right? Because as a CFO, everybody wants one North Star metric, but as a CFO, there's this fine balance between, you know, driving or accelerating growth and preserving uh, the financial health, which which could mean conserving capital as much as possible. So how do you how do you strike that balance between being that aggressive? You know what? Let's go grow versus let's 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 keep the money in the bank and uh, let's play it safe. Great question, uh, Vikram. You know, I think it's a combination of factors, but what it really comes down to is essentially how much confidence you have in your unit economics as a business and your cash management. In the world of SaaS, unit economics is more important than cash management because cash management is something you can optimize. Unit economics allows you to really continue to grow and invest in your people and your customers. And especially in today's funding market, where there is no, ne- not necessarily a shortage of financial capital, especially for you know the, the best companies, unit economics is super important to continue communicating to your investors in the financial markets that you're a business that deserves to have you know continued uh, investing in in growth. That was that was brilliant, uh, Joyce. Thank you so much. I will I will definitely remember that. And a lot of key takeaways, a lot of beautiful points. But also, I think if you are a high growth B two B SaaS business based out of Europe, it just gets a lot more easier because you can just go to Pegafund. But thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Joyce. It was so much fun uh, doing the session with you. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad that you are you guys are doing so much in sharing knowledge and thought leadership across uh, the space on finance and operations. It's my pleasure. There's uh, there's just so much more we learn every day in these conversations, and it's just it's just so much fun. Mm-hmm.